0: Hey, it's good to be back. Good to see you all. Today we are going to be focusing and centering the message on Proverbs 22 4, which says the following, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. I may not be the best suited person to preach this particular proverb because prior to choosing this proverb to speak on, uh, I had no idea that there actually was a reward for humility. Um, I mean, my thinking is if I can't even be sure that I've received uh, the reward if I didn't even know there was one. So like, how am I qualified to speak on this proverb? But that being said, I'm honored to be invited back to join you all so soon after participating in the Forgotten God series. It's one thing to come and 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 be a guest preacher, and everyone say, "Oh, we really enjoyed you, and you know, really thank you for being out." And it's another thing to be invited back. So um, I would say that I'm really humbled. But but here's the thing: um, if you're aware that you're humble, is that really humility? Like if I'm if I'm saying I, I feel really humbled, then I'm really not thinking about others. I'm really thinking about myself, so how does that work? I think about these things a little bit too much sometimes, but I'll just say that, um, you know, I'm I'm honored to be here, but let's think about that for a second. I mean, how many of you ever notice at award shows how oftentimes when someone is being given an award or an honor, they say, I'm really humbled to be receiving this award? You're you're humbled, and yet you're, you're talking about it. Okay, Raised in evangelicalism all my life, I've heard countless messages, sermons, and devotionals on humility. I recently heard it said concerning young people or children that what you say to them goes in one ear and out the other, but what you do, they will imitate. So I can remember as a young teen, when it came to humility, thinking, I need to be humble. I need to pursue humility. Humble people don't talk about themselves, so I need to be really careful about how much I talk about myself. Humble people don't say I or me very often. Instead, they'll use group speak like um, we or, you know, when you are, you you know, when you're, you know, a a, a dad, you know, and you work full time. You you know what I'm talking about? Or, you know, when you're you're a stay at home mom or whatever. Or, you know, when you have a pet giraffe, how you have to really be careful about, you know, the clearances. and, And then everybody's sitting there thinking, no, I don't know about having a pet giraffe. I don't have a pet giraffe. It's like almost this inability to actually own our own experiences and and speak for ourselves. Humble people don't bring attention to themselves. In fact, they go out of the way to stay out of the spotlight. As a young man growing up in southeast Michigan in the 90s, there was no better example of humility than one Barry Sanders. I grew up watching Barry Sanders, arguably the greatest running back in NFL history. He spent his entire 10-year career playing for the lowly Detroit Lions, which for those of you that don't know, the Lions are one of the original franchises in the NFL, and they're one of the only ones, including the Browns, that have never actually been to the Super Bowl. Which always drives me crazy when I hear Panthers fans complaining about how pathetic they are. I'm like, you guys have been around for just over 20 years. You have been to two Super Bowls. Like, the Lions, we've hosted. I mean, Detroit has hosted two Super Bowls. We've never actually been to one. Right? And they almost didn't give us the second one because there was a blizzard on the first one. And hardly anybody could get into the Pontiac Sober at home. But I digress. See, Barry Sanders, unlike most great running backs, did not benefit from having a great offensive line. In fact, his his, his offensive line was average at best, you know, unlike his biggest rival in his career, the other person who was really great at his position, Emmitt Smith, who played for the Dallas Cowboys and eventually got the record for most rushing yards all time in NFL history, which he still holds. Barry Sanders, in his 10-year career, had one of his five offensive linemen who made the Pro Bowl six times in All-Pro once. On the other hand, Emmitt had... Five offensive linemen, which those of you don't know, there's only five men on the offensive line. So every one of the guys that were on the offensive line, for him at some point, got some of these high awards and high honors. In total, between the five of them, they made 25 Pro Bowls and All-Pro 10 times. Two of them are Hall of Famers, and one of them is considered the greatest tackle and NFL history. The point being is this. Emmitt Smith basically got to run through holes in the offensive line that you could drive a school bus through. Whereas Barry Sanders was regularly met by two and three defenders before he even got to the hole. And yet, Barry Sanders, some of his most spectacular runs were only one-yard gains because the typical running back, it would have been a three-yard loss. And yet, he had this amazing, amazing career where he ended up finishing third all-time In rushing yards, I can vividly remember watching a game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Bucs had multiple players on their defense who ended up becoming NFL Hall of Famers, and Barry in that game had not one 80-yard run, he had two 80-yard runs. If you go on YouTube and watch highlights, you'll see runs where more than one where he, and he's, he was only about 5'7", not a big guy, would literally disappear in a pile of defenders and just come out the other side. And you're like, how did he do that? Where did he go? And there's one in particular when they were playing the New England Patriots where he made a guy look absolutely silly. He had the guy literally running in a circle because he turned him around so many times trying to uh, tackle him as Barry ran in for a touchdown. In 97, the Lions got a new head coach. And that coach, Bobby Ross, decided that he wanted to make some changes to the offense. He wanted Barry Sanders to start running behind a fullback. Now, for those of you that don't know, uh, the fullback is the person that goes to the hole first and clears out the first defender so that the running back can run through there cleanly. Previously, for the first seven years of Barry Sanders' career, he did not run with a fullback. He was just back there by himself. And the season didn't get off to a really good start for Barry. In the first two games, he only had 53 yards rushing. It's kind of disgusting how I remember this stuff. I don't even need to really look at my notes. That being said, he started the first two games with 53 yards. He finished the season with 2,053 yards. So in the remaining 14 games, he ran 2,000 yards, becoming only the third player in NFL history to run for 2,000 yards in a season. And there's only been four more guys to do it since. But the thing that was probably most remarkable and amazing about Barry Sanders, the thing that people still laud about him to this day, in his career, he scored... Over a hundred touchdowns, and whenever he scored a touchdown, he did the exact same thing. He turned around, he flipped or handed the ball to the referee, and then he went over and he hugged his teammates. If there was one quality or characteristic that Barry Sanders was known for, it was his humility. How he never brought attention to himself. He was never demonstrative or what one would consider a showboat. He definitely was not like Cam Newton. I mean, nothing against Cam. I like Cam. I like that Cam gets excited and that he gets into the game and, you know, he's really into it. But, I mean, there, Cam would not be mistaken for someone who is, is, is meek in a moment, right? Right? Again, nothing against them. Just, you know, a difference between the two. A little comparison. All that being said, I grew up watching people who were really talented and shared their talents. And when complimented on their performance, immediately would deflect the compliment by making self-deprecating comments because that was being humble. Humble. If it was someone at church or a Christian who got complimented, they'd say something like, oh, you know, it's not me. To God be the glory. It's not me. It's all him. I'm just a vessel. I'm just a grateful sinner with an amazing voice, saved by grace, just trying to use my God-ordained gifts to lead people to Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Those are the messages I heard the examples I observed, and thus what I tried to imitate in my attempts to be humble. Even then, if I'm honest, something about it seemed contrived and disingenuous. It got to the point that at times, I felt in order to be humble, I couldn't even acknowledge that I was good at something. Funny story, my my senior year of high school, It's getting near the end of the year, and and we're starting to do the things that senior classes typically do in in American high schools, where we'll have these little votes on who is the most likely to succeed from that class, who's the most attractive, who's the best athletes, and different things like that. And so we're sitting in a class, and this young woman says to me, well, Cedric, who do you think in our senior class or in the senior class has the best personality? So I stopped. And I thought for a second, and then I said, me. And she said, you know what? You're right. You do have the best personality, but I can't vote for you because if you had the best personality, you really shouldn't say that you have the best personality. And I said, okay, well, then just vote for me for most attractive. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> My point being is, like, there was... there. Even to acknowledge that, you know, I was good at something, came across and was perceived in a way as that's, that's not lacking humility. That's really arrogant. That's really proud. I'm not sure when I came across it, but years later, I would read a book where the author gave a definition of humility that absolutely resonated with me. It was Brennan Manning's book, Ragamuffin Gospel, And he said this, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less often. It's not about self-deprecating myself or selling myself short or thinking myself low. It's about just not spending so much time being self-obsessed and thinking about me. That just really resonated with me because the fact that I was thinking so much about being humble seemed to create this unresolvable paradox. I really struggled with low self-esteem and self-worth all of high school, despite thinking I had the best personality. I was constantly thinking I was less. So on the surface, I appeared humble based on the picture I had been given of what it means to be humble. But my view of myself wasn't just low, it was unhealthy, and it simply wasn't true. Manning elaborated on this definition of humility in another book, Ruthless Trust, where he says the following Humble men and women do not have a low opinion of themselves, they have no opinion of themselves. The heart of humility lies in undivided attention to God, a fascination with his beauty revealed in creation, a contemplative presence to each person who speaks to us, and a de-selfing of our plans, projects, ambitions, and soul. Humility is manifested in an indifference to our intellectual, emotional, and physical well-being and a carefree disregard of the image we present. Can I just say for a moment that if you are someone who is struggling with low self-esteem or self-worth, that if humility truly lies in undivided attention to God and a fascination with his beauty revealed in creation, then never forget what God first said about his creation. It is good. Now ask yourself, do you really believe that you are an exception to that declaration of goodness? I didn't articulate it like that at the time, but that is in essence the question I had to ask myself. And Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection an answer to that question. I don't spend anywhere near the amount of time thinking about how I can be humble or more humble as I used to, but that hasn't prevented me from making a few observations about the nature of humility and what it looks like to be humble. So here are three observations about humility. One, the humble person has a level of confidence and security in who they are that liberates them from self-consciousness and frees them to focus their attention on others. In the first service, they they sang a song called, I Will Bow. And one of the lines in there gave this picture of, uh, I will bow and I am free. This imagery of being able to humble oneself is actually what leads to a liberation. If I could pick a nit for a second, I don't think the humble person has no opinion of themselves, as is mentioned in the Brennan Manning quote. I think the humble person finds rest in God's opinion of themselves, God's declaration of goodness. The incarnation of the divine in human flesh functions as a perpetual assurance or reminder that they have nothing to prove. I had a coworker who subscribed to Islam who explained to me why Islam doesn't buy the Bible's claim that Jesus is God and one with God. He said a holy and perfect God would never become human because the human form is inherently corrupt. When we as Christians begin the Christian story with you're a sinner, we skip the beginning of the story and underestimate the continuity between it is very good and the word became flesh and dwelt among us that there is something about what God says at the very beginning about Jesus putting on human flesh that creates this continuity that humanity is good and was always meant for good and that God never stopped believing in the goodness of humanity and came to resolve the dilemma With that first observation, here's a question to ponder. What is the story you are telling yourself? Is there a moment or incident that drives your personal narrative that has you constantly on the defensive because you believe you're not good enough? Or constantly on the offensive trying to convince everyone else how great you are? Or that you have it all together. What does the life of someone who tells their self a story that has been resolved look like? That has resolved the question of their worth and their value to the point that they are freed from self-obsession. Second observation, the humble person can handle compliments and criticism. When I was trying really hard to be humble or at least appear humble, I would deflect compliments, make self-deprecating comments, or give all praise to God. I don't know when it was, but I came to realize that when someone gives me a compliment, a simple thank you will do. Even a simple I appreciate you mentioning that will suffice. Being able to handle compliments and criticism requires an ability to be completely honest about myself, not deceiving myself about my strengths, my weaknesses, or anything else in between. When I give someone a compliment and they immediately start extolling the greatness of God, I want to say to them, I know how great God is and the great things that God has done. I'm just telling you that I appreciate what you did, or the talent that you shared. Third observation. Humility is impossible when I'm trying to be humble. If I'm being, if I'm trying to be humble, then I'm totally aware and self-conscious about how I am being perceived by others. True humility is so self-unaware that in the moment, the person who is being humble is literally not thinking about themselves. As I mentioned earlier, I've always found it really curious during award shows when someone is bestowed a great honor and they often say, I'm really humbled right now. How can you be truly humble if you are claiming to be humbled? Perhaps the word they are looking for is honored. But as I thought about it some more, this is where I've landed. I would wager that the ones who go on to talk about how hard they've worked aren't being humble in the moment. Not that it's inherently arrogant to reflect on the hard work you've put in. After all, didn't God rest on the seventh day? And it's not like he rested so he could be like, oh, who, me? (laughs) No, he rested so he could enjoy his work. On the other hand, there are the ones who immediately start talking about all the people who sacrificed for them, invested in them, supported them. They are the ones who in that moment aren't thinking about themselves, but instead thinking of everyone else. They understand that Whatever honor award that they've received, it wasn't just because of them and their talents and what they brought to the table, but they got to collaborate with others and that their success and what they've done is largely due to what other people have done for them and on their behalf. Could it be that when Cam Newton is out there celebrating after touchdowns and giving balls away, He is exuding a humility that is unaware of himself in that moment. That his sole focus is giving a kid in the stands one of the absolute thrills of their life by having the quarterback of their team hand them a game ball. Let's hope he hands out a slew of those balls today. In closing, let's take a look at the proverb that we started off with again. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is, to, is, is honor, riches, and life. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is honor, riches, and life. As I said earlier, maybe I'm not the best suited to preach this message because I didn't even know there was a reward for humility. But could it be that the true nugget of wisdom in this proverb is this? If humility is thinking of others more than self, if humility is really about being secure enough in who I am that I am freed from the prison of self-obsession, then could it be that riches, honor, and life is not the reward that the humble person receives? Instead, could it be that riches, honor, and life is the reward that the humble person graciously gives to others. After all, is that not what Christ, in his great humility, has done for us? He has bestowed upon us the riches of the inheritance of the firstborn. He has given us honor by interceding on our behalf. And by sharing in our death and overcoming the power of death, he has invited us into his life eternal. He has opened the door to an abundant and overflowing life. If I fear or have a deep and grounded respect and awe of God, then the greatest way I can demonstrate that is by having a deep respect and In awe for each and every one of God's image bearers that are made from the dust of the earth and animated by the breath of God. Jesus had a deep respect and awe for the woman at the well, for Nicodemus, for the lepers and the lame, those who were considered unclean, and even a tax collector and thief like Zacchaeus. Consider the honor, the riches, and the life Jesus graciously extended and bestowed upon each of those people we come across in the Gospels. Like the demon-possessed man, the centurion and his daughter, and even the traitor he instituted tooted holy communion with, that he extended out the bread and the cup and said, this represents my body and my blood broken and shed for you. Can you think of someone in your own life who has consistently rewarded you with riches, honor, and life? May I suggest that you were in the presence of someone who shows humility and whose humility had unleashed them to be extravagant with you and others, not in a way that made them small or less, just simply in a way that neither arrogance nor self-doubt got in the way of them being present, available, and able to see you. In closing, I'm going to read from Philippians 2, 1, 11. May this be an encouragement to us and even a prayer over us as we go into the day in this week. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, Any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. for the example of true humility that we have in Christ. We thank you for the riches, the honor, and life that in his humility has been extended to us. May that motivate us, may that encourage us, and may that unleash us to be able to extend riches, honor, and life to one another and those we come across in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen.